Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello. Welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Chris Demuth, a PM at Rangely. With me, as always, is my co-host and Rangely PM, Andrew Walker. Today, we have an episode about misleading names. Uh, first, we'll start with Elon Musk's Tesla before turning to some surprising components of socially responsible funds. To start with, uh, Tesla has had an amazing year so far. Their market cap has surpassed Ford and briefly surpassed GM, although currently slightly below, last I checked. Stock is up a little bit under 40% for the year, last I checked again. Uh, And next is their launch of the Model 3. Uh, But therein, the problem. Uh, There's some confusion about the relative strengths of Tesla's car offering now, with the Model 3 being seen as the successor, newest, greatest thing. Uh, But that uh, is leading to some confusion. Uh, The S is supposed to be the flagship sedan and is still supposed to be the flagship sedan. And they don't want to have cannibalization with the new car coming in at a much lower price point. So Musk is now in a position of anti-selling the 3. Um, so he needs to kind of tamp down higher end customer uh, interest in it. At the same time, it's a big deal for the company. They plan to launch in July. They plan to build half a million vehicles next year compared with 84,000 last year and ramp up to a million by 2020. And so they need to kind of be firing on all cylinders for that. Although, are there cylinders in an electric car? I don't know if that's a. I don't there, think there, there might be a dated, electric car. There might be a dated. I think that's right. I don't uh, think there are cylinders. So he's going to be firing on no cylinders, or you can email about it that to us. So Andrew, before I continue to butcher cliches any further, what do you think about uh, this? So my first thought is, why? Who thinks the Model Three is the successor to the Model S? Like, why, why does S become three? Because they just. They currently have the Model X, and then they have the Model S. So you went from X to S, and nobody got confused over that. So why are people confused over S to 3? Like, what do you think it is? Is it because the 3? I mean, the 3 is supposed to be an E backwards, but is it because 3 and S kind of have the same shape? it's the shape, third or? launch that people remember in mm, recent history. That's a good point. And because of Apple being very clear in just numbering... Uh, iPhones, and this is kind of the iPhone of cars. Uh, and Musk clearly has fun with names. You know, he called his tunneling company the boring company. This top speed on the S, ludicrous speed. And uh, he's going to finish it out with the SUVY. So it was going to be SEXY, which he clearly was having fun being cheeky about. Uh, but uh, that was disrupted by Ford, who sent him a cease and desist letter over the E and had to therefore change it to three as the backwards. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So look, I mean, I, I think we've talked about, at this point, I don't think we've talked about anyone more than Elon Musk on this podcast, which is interesting because we don't particularly follow any of his companies super closely. No. Uh, but it, I, I think, you know, you look at this quarter and regardless of whether you're an Elon Musk and Tesla bull or bear, there was something for you in this quarter. You know, if you were a really big Elon Musk bull, you had uh, him saying, hey, the Model 3 is on production. They're, they're growing rapidly. Uh, Mo- Model 3 is really the biggest thing. So you've got the Model 3 on production. There are lots of other uh, little things in there that shows he's continuing to evolve the Tesla vision. But that's the big thing if you're a bull. That's all that matters. Uh, if you're a Tesla bear, I mean, there 
there have been very few companies in the history of uh, capitalism that burn cash at the rate that Tesla manages to burn cash. I I printed out there. I generally don't print too much out for this podcast, but I printed out their uh, their financials and their quarterly letter at, and was kind of flipping through them. And I flipped to the cash flow statement and I was looking at it. I was like, oh, okay. So they've burned, uh, you know, they burned about a billion dollars in cash flows from investing last uh, last year. And then I did a retake and I was like, oh no, they burned a billion dollars this quarter. I mean, this it consumes capital. It's unbelievable. And if you're a bear, you're looking at Tesla and you're saying, this company, they're, they keep promising the moon. They're never going to deliver. They're never going to ramp up they're going to burn money and as soon as investors wise up to it, it uh it's going to explode uh i i don't have a strong view one way or the other except that i i'm a huge elon musk bull and i would not want to bet against him but i think there's something for everyone here if you think elon musk is cool he's looking cool if you think that tesla's expensive tesla's looking expensive although it looked kind of you know i'm glad i did not try to make my fortune shorting tesla because i thought it looked expensive 10 and 20 and 30. Like, a lot of the criticisms I can make of it, I could have made 10, 20, 30% ago. Uh, and so it's just a dangerous one for that. Um, Solar City, though, is looking kind of a little debacle in some ways. Like, I don't know if his reputation's better, not responsible for it as a separate company, but they're being investigated by the SEC. They're having, uh, you know, th- that industry and that company looks like that could be. Yeah, I, look, I'm not an expert there, so I can't really comment. But uh, I think... The shares look shares have had a massive run. They sold off a little bit today on the news because anytime a stock's up forty percent on the year, uh, which Tesla is, and you know it's had a massive run over the past couple of years, unless the earnings are just out of this world, a stock's generally going to pull back at that type of nosebleed valuation. But they're having a fantastic run. They're, they came out with uh, they said they're going to sell a million cars by two thousand twenty. But the real thing I kind of learned as they as they saw the press for this is Tesla spends almost nothing on sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they spend forty five million a year, or maybe it was a quarter. I think forty five million a year, and Ford and GM spend billions a year on sales and marketing. And you look at all that and you say, oh well, how often do you talk about Ford and GM unless it's oh their share price is lagging or comparing them to Tesla passing them on market cap? Almost I, never, right? I don't think I've ever made this analogy before, but it is the Trump campaign of automobiles. It is the disruptive coming in, not spending cash, and having all this access to free media. I, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think they, they're producing something here. But if you're short, if you're short Tesla, you really need to think like that brand awareness, that consumer awareness, that consumer love. You know. It's coming from somewhere. This product, when I see a Tesla drive by, I always notice it and think how cool the car is. You know, if you're if you're a big Tesla bear, I'm not saying this company won't implode tomorrow. You know, it very it possibly could. But if you're a huge Tesla bear, you really need to think about that amount of love and that place in consumers' hearts. And you know, Apple years and years ago, people were really bearish Apple, and the and one of the reasons Apple managed to survive at their bottom was. They had a core group of fans who love them and who would never trade them in for Microsoft. And Tesla's, it feels like it's got that same type of consumer love. You look at the divergent views this week of David Einhorn on one hand and Amber Heard on the other. David, big skeptic, uh, claiming that Tesla fans are hypnotized by Elon Musk and that enthusiasm is reminiscent of the March 2000.com Bobble, uh, Amber Heard, formerly of uh, uh, Johnny Depp's uh, uh, wife. Yes, wife, wife. wife. Uh, uh, has gone short Johnny Depp, long Elon Musk. Um, I think Johnny Depp is having all sorts of Let, financial problems. I don't think we want to talk about Johnny Depp. <laughs> sure. <never heard. laughs> but uh, is now, uh, so now uh, 
seen pictures of uh, uh, Elon Musk. Uh, uh, hey, Elon Musk and Amber Heard just have this great photo together where Amber Heard, she's got it, she kissed uh, Elon Musk on the cheek and he's got a big red thing and she's looking cool and sexy next to Elon Musk. It's very like, Elon Musk gets compared to Iron Man a lot and Robert Downey Jr. said he went and spent time with Elon Musk and it's very Iron Man-esque, just having this beautiful girl that just eluding sex and the kiss on the cheek. Very cool. Very cool photo. Both of them posted it on Instablog, uh, on, Insta- on Instagram oh, separately. I'm so, seeing it uh, in front of you right now. So, so yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that they were both happy with that situation, um, as he should be. Um, so that's what I had on Tesla. Uh, anything else? Nope, no, 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 no. Um, the other misleading uh, name uh, I thought was uh, interesting in the press this week I was looking at uh, is in the socially responsible ETFs. Um, they go by different names, but uh, there's there's very little uh, by way of uh, rules uh, or uh, accountability in terms of how these things are named versus what's actually in them. Today's Wall Street Journal revealing some surprising and I thought funny examples. A state street's fossil fuel-free ETF includes Transocean, the offshore drilling involved in the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, gasoline refiner Valero, and Southern Company, a coal and natural gas-focused utility. Now, I have absolutely nothing against fossil fuels. I have done work on several occasions for fossil fuel companies. Uh, but before f- fossil fuels, we were burning whale oil. So I think that these guys are great members of our community and they're perfectly socially responsible. But then again, as much as I might think they're fine for the environment and great companies, I don't call my fund fossil f- fuel free. So uh, kind of interesting that they do that. And then when you look throughout the uh, industry, of sustainable funds. There's quite a few of these things in there. Uh, so uh, I, that, that was kind of uh, uh, my second kind of misleading name of the week that I saw. Yeah, so look, I thought this was an interesting one. And we've talked about both We've talked about both of these areas before on the podcast. I think our very first podcast, we talked about socially responsible investing with Al Gore. Yes. And then uh, back in June, we talked about uh, misleading ETFs, where I think there was a... A fit ETF. I can't remember if it was fit or fat, but it was like really concentrated in some uh, some investments that might not have been exactly what people thought they were getting. But I, look, I, I think this is an awful thing where people you buy an ETF and you know it says the fossil fuel free thing, mm-hmm. and you think you're you think you're getting one thing and you're not. But I guess my two questions are, you know, these things are saying they're socially responsible ETFs, and my first thing is, you know. Who defines what socially responsible investing is? You know, like Al Gore's firm, and I just saw there was a, an article in Barron's last month going over Al Gore's socially responsible investing firm. Uh, and they say, you know, we don't invest in things with fossil fuel, but they invest in Delphi Automotive, for example, mm-hmm. which makes powertrains and uh, fuel efficiency supplies for cars. Well, those cars are gas powered. So they're investing in a company that makes things for gas powered cars. Like, how does that fit your socially responsible investing? Or, you know, Al Gore's really connected to Apple. I believe he's on the board. His firm owns a lot of Apple stock, you know. Uh, great. Apple's a very socially responsible company, but a lot of their suppliers are Chinese suppliers who don't exactly have the best kind of workers' rights practices, let's say. Like, if you can't invest in their suppliers, can you invest in the company? You know, Nike, a lot of years ago, their their uh, suppliers had a lot of issues with child labor. I don't believe Nike directly suppl- directly inve- did child labor, but they had suppliers who did it. So people boycotted Nike. Why, why can't you boycott Apple? Like, I just have an issue with 
who's drawing the line on socially responsible investing, who's making this decision, because at some level, everything can be viewed as unsocially responsible. Absolutely. I think just on the mechanics, two things that I would really insert in here. First of all, it has to be versus the productivity, right? I assume that this is an industry that presupposes that humanity will have electricity, say. But I find that they tend to crowd into clean technology. And I don't mean clean for what it accomplishes, just an intrinsically clean part of our economy isn't particularly impressive thing to be supporting versus other parts that are needed. Uh, And so it should really be versus the productivity, the kind of environmental externalities versus what is accomplished. And secondly, it really should look at the whole industrial organization and the supply chain. So for example, a light bulb that is more efficient, that has toxic gases that can't be easily recycled. You have to look at the whole thing next, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure that they do it uh, that well. Uh, but, But I think the bigger problem thematically is simply that we all have sets of principles. Some are overlapping, some not, and some are conflicting with one another and our normal system the beauty of it is that we can operate in harmony regardless uh what's social for me could be the opposite for you and vice versa and uh and so i think that that's kind of hard to kind of create this kind of one view of what it would be no i think that's all right but you know i think there's there's something else here and i think this is uh you know the rise of indexing has been great for the average re- for the average investor, right? Mm-hmm. You get access to most managers underperform after uh, after their fees are included, so you get access to kind of the average with none of those fees baked in. You know you're going to get the market return, right? Mm-hmm. So it's been fantastic for the average investor. But uh, this is people. Wall Street firms have realized, hey, if people are going to go with ETFs and all of these index funds and stuff, we have we don't make much money on them. We have to figure out a way to make money. And what they've discovered is ETFs, which are indices and names. Mm-hmm. But as we're saying with socially responsible investing, uh, unless it's the S and P five hundred index or even the S and P five hundred index, people have to decide what goes into indexes. Right? Mm-hmm. Indexes to some extent are actively managed. So creating all these ETFs, like just creating this huge bundle of ETFs, it's a way to separate investors from their money through mm-hmm. charging higher fees and either trading costs or commissions or or management fees for setting up these indices. And I, look, these are products that are designed to be sold. I think there was a article the other day on there are these uh, double and triple levered ETFs, which have just which are some of the worst products ever designed. And they're coming out with quadruple leverage ETFs because why? People want to trade these things. These are Wall Street uh, Wall Street trading firms' dreams because they can charge high trading fees, high cost of structure. And these ETFs, you know, they're, uh, it just should, it's, there's a lot wrong with these is what I'm trying to get at. Absolutely. I think that for people who are kind of casually uh, interested in this and really want more of their identity uh, in play in their portfolio should think about for most people, for most of their capital, uh, as something with a more basic ETF or a more uh, more uh, kind of economically focused fund, and that these kind of identity-based investments should be like the dessert or like just some small aspect of your life. That's fine, but it shouldn't be eighty percent of your money or something. Uh, it's just for fun or for a lark. It's because you want to, and it's fine to do some decisions because you want to, but it's not very adultish to do it with a significant amount. Of I get what you're saying, and I think you wrote an article on this a couple of years ago, but it just I think it's a lot. Of 
makes sense. Like investing, your goal is to maximize your risk adjusted return. And for most people, the best way to do that is an index fund or, you know, buying bonds, keeping a lot of cash in hand, all that sort of stuff. When you start confusing investing with your other goals, like if your goal is to protect the environment, great. But the way to do that is not through investing. The way to do that is donating money to environmentally responsive charities or lobbying firms or that type of stuff. If you try to do it through investing, you think you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. And often you're just kind of getting fleeced, you know? So I I, I would just say, keep the two separate, stick to the basics in investing and any goals you're trying to accomplish, whatever they are, you can accomplish them with the returns from the investing, not with the investing itself. Absolutely. You have great environmentalists like Tom Steyer, for one example, who invested for return and who then got resources from that, that then he can invest in the environment. And he did both in a very uh, value maximizing way, even though what he ultimately cared about was the environment. Warren Buffett, who uh, his annual meetings this week, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say on him in the next couple of weeks. If you think he's the greatest investor of all time and one of the charities that has been closest to him, it's come out recently, has been funding uh, women's, uh, what, what's the term we're looking for? Women's... Reproductive rights? Re- yes, reproductive rights. It's one of the charities that's been closest to him. But he hasn't been going and buying up a bunch of women's reproductive rights companies, right? He invests Berkshire the way that he thinks is socially, the way that he thinks will maximize his return. And then he takes his own money, he takes his own returns from that investing, and he donates it to women's reproductive rights uh, things. Uh, one last little thought I had was we're going into this uh, weekend. I'm looking forward to the uh, hearing more from Berkshire. Um, but they made some reference to activists on Berkshire. And I saw some of the photos of these people. And they said, they didn't look like shareholder activists. And I've never heard of this. And then I realized they meant more like political activists <laughs> trying to push them. And, and, and I thought that their kind of, uh, their, their demeanor towards this made a lot more sense than I'd say. Um, so uh, that's all the time we have for today. Before we had our disclosures, a reminder. Uh, if you have any feedback, uh, please feel to, free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. I have nothing to disclose. Perfect. We'll talk to you guys next week.